Well, good morning. Ladies are allowed to go first on this occasion. Uh, this is clearly a most wonderful morning to be here with you. And if we love nothing else, John and I do enjoy a party. And this feels like one of those. I imagine in a room full of people like this, there is a wide spectrum of people. And some of you may be very recent to the church. Some of you may have been around here for donkey's years, not looking anywhere in particular. And some of you may have no idea what you've come to. We have um, a church similar to this, a vineyard in southwest London, but we meet in a building very dissimilar to this. We, have, um, we rent a school, which we're deeply grateful to God for, but is also quite ugly. However, into this school, <laughs> not wishing to be ungrateful, but um, into this school car park one morning, there drove a car, because we, did tr- we do try. We had notices out on the road, tasteful notices, Welcome to the Southwest London Vineyard. And this car came into the car park, and the people honestly thought we were a discount wine warehouse and were frightfully cross with us because we weren't. And they turned round and left, and we never saw them again. So I say that simply to say that many people have a very strange view of what the vineyard might be. And so when we go around the place, John and I are often asked, what is the vineyard? And, you know, what do you call a group of churches, of which there are now, I like to tell you, 102 vineyards in this country? So over the course of the last 20 years, God has seen fit to bless this movement wonderfully. There are 102 of us. And are we a gaggle? Are we, a, what is a collective noun for churches? A gaggle, a shambles, a denomination? I don't know. We like to think that basically the vineyard is a family with a purpose. In other words, we're a family because we're highly relational. That matters to us more than anything, that we really are a relational people who love to be together. But unlike families which just do nothing else than sit round the fire at Christmas and look at each other, we do actually have purpose. There is a reason for being family, and that is to go out to the rest of this country and to make Jesus known. Because we're all of us agreed that the thing that this land needs more than anything else, or rather the person that we need more than anything else, is like Chris and Fliss were saying on that brilliantly. We need Jesus, and this land needs Jesus. And the most effective way is for people like us to tell other people about Jesus, and the only way to disciple them is in churches. And therefore, we feel the call on the vineyard is to plant churches over and over and over across this land, as we have been trying to do in the last 20 years and indeed plan to do for the next 20. And we do it alongside all the body of Christ. We have this really deep conviction that we are just a part of a bigger family. And so we want to plant churches alongside our Anglican brethren, our Catholic brethren, Salvation Army, New Frontiers, whatever you can think of, Presbyterian. My background is Presbyterian. So whatever church, we need churches planted across the land. And this is just how we've chosen to do our part of the church, where worship matters more than anything else, where loving the poor matters more than anything else, where the scriptures are our plumb line, where the kingdom of God is our bedrock. These are the things that we've sold out for. And the truth is that 20 years ago, Chris and Fliss did exactly as we did. They bought into and sold out for a vision to build church in this way, in this country. God has given us a heart for this land. And I love that thing about God is stretching our perimeters. All the time, he's stretching us. So what you see around you here is just the fruit of the last 20 years of God's blessing. And I was reminded this morning as I was thinking about you of that verse in the Psalms, Psalm 118, verse 23, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous 
in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Great verse. John. Thank you. If you've got a Bible within reach, would you like to turn to the, towards the back to Paul's second letter to Timothy? If you're not sure where it is, you either head for the maps and then work forward or go to the index at the front. To Timothy. I must say, um, I echo all that Ellen has said. We are delighted and honored to be here. Uh, this morning, and uh, uh, we've known Chris and Fliss for a long time. I must say, that bit of video clip was very impressive, wasn't it? When's the second volume coming out? January. January. Uh, will you send me a copy? I'd love to see it. They're very good, aren't they? They ought to be on Newsnight or, or Good Morning Britain or, you know. It's, it's, I loved it. I thought it was great. I couldn't. I'm sorry it stopped when it did. You'd much rather listen to them than me, us. Anyhow. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, Eleanor's absolutely right. It's, it's fantastic what you've done here, isn't it? Or what God has done through you, or maybe I'm repeating myself. It is a, it's marvellous. It is marvellous. I mean, not least this building and your new racked. The last time I was here, it was flat, and you've, you know, you've, you've raised it up. It's fantastic. I mean, but that's the, that's, this is, the building here is about people, isn't it? And it's fantastic. I'm just thrilled to be here. I'm grateful to you. Now let's have a look at Timothy. Paul wrote a number of letters to Timothy. Only two exist. Uh, still you know, remain. We have copies of. And uh, we'll, in a moment we'll look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, for many years now, <clears throat> I've been collecting famous last words. I don't know if you're ever amused by them. Here's one. Luther Burbank, who died in 1926. His final words before he dropped dead were, I don't feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Paul, a man called Paul Claudel. His last question was, Doctor, do you think it could have been the sausage? (laughs) And expired. Um, John Maynard Keynes, who was a famous economist, he asserted, I wish I'd drunk more champagne. Voltaire, who went on his deathbed, was asked to renounce the devil, replied, this is no time to make new enemies. (laughs) Oscar Wilde, famously, you've heard this one, either this wallpaper goes or I do. The seven last words of the church. We've never done it that way before. Ouch. And a man called Sir David Brewster, who I've never heard of, who was a long-term follower of Jesus Christ, said, I will see Jesus as he is. I've had his light for many years. Oh, how bright it is. I feel so safe, so satisfied. And then he died. Will you say, John, on earth that's got to... What on earth has this got to do with anything? Well, there is a vague, tenuous connection, and that is that the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy here, what we call 2 Timothy, were in a, was in effect a collection of Paul's famous last words. 
because as the pundits uh, tell us, this was probably the last recorded letter that Paul wrote, wrote, wrote and was later, fairly soon, maybe with, even within months, was executed. So here is the old, seasoned, experienced servant of the Lord, the Apostle Paul, who'd followed Jesus through thick and thin. He'd really seen it all. He'd been there. He'd done that. He'd got every T-shirt going. And so it's probably worthwhile for us to pay attention to, to what he, this old, experienced follower of Jesus, has to say to the church, and in this case to Timothy, but more especially to us. And you might ask, we might ask the question, what, what help might this be to us? who are, relatively speaking, a very young movement. I know we're 20, 21 years old. The vineyard is 20, 21 years old here in the UK and Ireland. But in terms of church history, I mean, over 2,000 years of church history, we're, we're youngsters. We're still in nappies or diapers, if you're an American. So what has Paul got to say to us? Let's read um, chapter 1, a bit of chapter 1. To Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you, he's writing to Timothy, I remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God did not give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline and then just jump to the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 2 you then my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men and women who will also be qualified to teach others. I don't know if you've um, recently been to Heathrow Airport and whether you've noticed right in the center of the airfield there's a huge new control tower and there's a uh, it's it essentially a tall column of concrete and then perched on the top is the control tower with a you know, marvellous view of the whole airfield. And if you look closely, you'll see that this concrete column is held up, is tethered by two or three concrete uh, um, steel cables, hawsers, presumably to keep the thing upright from you know, not getting blown down. And a bit like those three cables that keeps the thing upright, Paul here, in writing to Timothy, says there are three things that will keep the church upright and stable and strong. And he focuses, you may have noticed, he focuses in three directions. He looks back to the past, 
Then he talks about the present, and then he looks on to the future. And those are the three things that will keep us upright and stable as a church. So, first, Paul reminds Timothy of past blessings. Verses 3 to 5. And you notice he starts off, I thank God. So he's looking back, and he's looking back with gratitude. And that's what this autumn has been about uh, here at St. Albans. You've been looking back with gratitude. It's not complacency. It's not smugness. You don't think you've arrived. However, you do look back and see what God has done here. I mean, just think of in the time you've been in this... How long have you actually been physically meeting in this building on Sunday? Three years? And before that, you were to a variety of schools, weren't you? And you think of the times that you've opened the doors. Never mind the small groups and the house groups and the kinship groups and all the things you do. Think of the hundreds, well, the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who've come in through your doors and that you've loved and you've prayed for and you've plied them with donuts. Interesting to do a calculation, wouldn't it? At Asda or Tesco's, just how much money they've made out of, how many donuts you've consumed in the last 20 years. But think of the people you've introduced to Jesus. People who came in here, probably a bit like Chris and Fliss, not really knowing. I mean, they might not have offered to lead the church before they were believers. <laughs> but they might, you know, they might have, you know, they come wandered in here not knowing the first thing about Jesus. And you've been friendly to them and kind to them and you've shared with them all the blessings that God has given you. Think of the people you've prayed for. Think of the people you've cared for. Think of the people you've fed, the hungry people you've fed. Think of the impoverished people who've come here and you have nurtured. Think of the people whose marriages were in a total mess and you've loved them back to health and stability and strength. Think of the worship leaders and the songwriters that have emerged from here. Think of the people you've sent out to plant other churches like this one. It does begin, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? And for it all, we say to the Lord, this is, mar- what was your phrase? It was marvelous in our eyes, and we thank God for it. And we do. And uh, I know we live in a different part of London, around the other side of the M25, but we've watched over the years and seen what God's done with you. It's wonderful. Proud as punch we are. Tickle pink. With what God has done with you. And you see, he does say, doesn't he? Paul does say on there, I thank God, as I, as I night and day, I constantly remember. Do you see the end of verse 3? He says, remember. And then it comes again, the same thought in verse 5. I've been reminded. He's, it's a good thing to look back and to think just how much God has done. It's a very healthy thing to do. Because out of the remembering comes spring's gratitude. You can't, can't do one without t'other, can you? You see, and it's wonderful what God's done here. So I'm not trying to flatter you. Do you understand that? I'm not trying to schmooze you. My sister-in-law had a beaten-up car at one point. It was nicknamed Flattery because Flattery never got her anywhere. <laughs> um, but so I'm not trying to flatter you. But I am. I'm just holding up a mirror to you and said, "This is what God has done, and it's marvellous." Because I think that's what Paul was doing with Timothy. He was holding up a mirror and saying, I'm so thankful to God. Let's remember. Let's look in the mirror and see what God has done. It's marvellous. Marvellous. Thank you. He specifically, click. I haven't got one of those things. If I did have, it would sound like click. 
Um, he, he, the past blessings in particular, he mentions, are um, friends, who, particularly friends who are prayerful friends, which, of course, Paul was for Timothy. He also thanks God for Timothy's faith. In verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. You know, that he'd, particularly when things were difficult. He had hung on to the Lord through thick and thin. And the third thing is the family heritage. Um, this is interesting. Let me just, for a moment, focus on verse 3. I thank my God whom I, whom I serve as my forefathers did. And then he reminds Timothy of Timothy's own spiritual heritage. Do you notice he mentions derived from his mother Eunice. I'm looking at verse 5. And his grandmother Lois. That Lois, that's a familiar name, isn't it? Who was the fellow who used to go into a telephone booth and come out in pajamas and a cape? Who was that? Superman. Batman. No, Superman. Superman. Well, wasn't his girlfriend Lois? Yeah, there you go. So you won't forget that again now, will you? You'll always read this text forever after. Think of Superman. It appears, and the book of Acts tells us that Timothy's father was Greek, and it rather implies that he was not a follower of Jesus. Whereas um, on, on Timothy's mother's side, his mother and his grandmother were devout, godly Jewish people. And then presumably through the ministry of Paul, the whole family, at least Lois and Eunice and Timothy, somehow got connected with Jesus. That's the assumption. So well, Paul, the only, Paul's point is that you, know, you have heritage. And that's been a blessing to you. And think, you know, some of you lot here who are parents or grandparents... Think of the children and grandchildren you're now bringing up, raising. And think of the heritage. You may not have had it, but think of the heritage they now have. Because of what your, the current orientation of your life and your journey with Jesus. This journey of faith. And incidentally, um, just every now and then I come across, we come across people, women, who have had careers of one sort or another in the conventional sense. And now at this stage of their life they've had children. They are having children and they're at home. So their career has shifted from doing whatever they used to do and now they're at home. But in some cases wondering what on earth they're doing and why is it that their careers had to had a change and their husband hasn't. If only he'd been born with ovaries and a uterus, you know, things might have been different. <laughs> well, take a leaf out of Lois and, and Lois's uh, and Eunice's book. The, recognize the high calling that God has given you at this stage in your life. There's a story told of a woman who um, went up to the... that You may have heard of a very famous Victorian preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon, had a huge church at uh, the Elephant and Castle. And uh, one day this woman went up to him and announced that God had called her to the ministry. But unfortunately, she was married and she had nine children, which I suppose she implied posed difficulties. To which Spurgeon replied, you should be grateful, my dear, that God has not only called you to the ministry, but he's also provided you with your congregation. <laughs> I once knew a schoolmaster, who, or knew of a schoolmaster, who every morning he'd walk into the classroom and he would bow to his scruffy, snotty, pimply little children. And when he was asked about it, he said, because I have no idea who is sitting in my classroom. For all I know, to be a future prime minister. And I wish to show them the respect that they're due. And there is a sense in which that we have, we don't know what God's going to do. You don't know what God's going to do with your children or your grandchildren. 
Nor did Laos or Eunice. But think of the phenomenal blessing that Timothy was in the years and the decades when he was leading. So at a personal level, there are blessings, past blessings. At a corporate level, you know, there are, we stand in a long line of generations of people who've gone before us, who've known Jesus and walked with him, loved him, served him, fought for him, sacrificed for him. And in a sense, we stand on their shoulders, don't we? You know, think of, oh, I mean, go back 2,000 years. Think of, in the very early days of uh, Christianity, there was a huge argy-bargy, a huge fight over who Jesus was. Was he fully human, or was he fully divine, or, or what? And the pendulum would swing back and forwards. And there was a guy called Athanasius who fought against a particular heresy, which is today much like present, present Jehovah's Witnesses in denying Jesus' divinity. And he pretty much single-handedly fought for this. As a result, if, you, if, you have any, if you're familiar with the Anglican or Catholic liturgy, pretty well every Sunday you will recite the Athanasian Creed, which was the definition of the plumb line of what orthodoxy was. Athanasius fought for that. Or think of the monks who, who do you think, in the Dark Ages who, before the printing press was, uh, was, was invented, would, they would copy this book, old manuscripts of this book, by hand. Had they not done so, we wouldn't have it printed today and available and sitting on your lap or where it is. Do you see people who, generations before, who've protected and kept the treasure for us? Think of the reformers in the 16th century. You know, Luther and Calvin, all that crowd. Think of the beginning of the 20th century, the revival in Azusa Street in California and the birth of the whole Pentecostal movement. What a blessing that's been to the church worldwide. I mean, have you any idea the phenomenal rate of the growth of Christianity in particularly South America and in Africa? I'm sure you have. It's very largely, not entirely, but very largely the Pentecostal denominations that... that, um, Leading and pioneering there. Well, think of the, you know, think of the Alpha Course. Think of people like John Wesley or General Booth or Charles Spurgeon I've mentioned or John Stott, maybe a name you know, or David and Mary Pitches, maybe a name you know. These people who've gone before us. John Wimber, those of us in the vineyard, are grateful to this Californian that God used, what, 30 years ago to start this thing that we now call the vineyard. And we, again, that's our heritage. That's part of our. Now, it doesn't mean we are we are fixated with the past. It just means we're grateful for it, and we recognise it's part of our heritage. Moving on very swiftly, Paul reminds Timothy of past blessings, of present realities. Look in verses six and seven. For this reason, I remind you to fan into fame. Very difficult to say that fast without getting it to flan into fame. To fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. When Paul says that God, in verse 6, 7, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity but of power. In the New International Version, which some of you may have, I think, unfortunately, there's a misprint or at least an error. Because it uses the lowercase s for the word spirit, I think. Paul isn't referring to an attitude there. I think he's referring to the Holy Spirit, so it should have a capital S for spirit. And I think the gift of God he refers to in verse 6 is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what he's talking about. 
And Paul was simply saying that the Holy Spirit changes you, he empowers you, he equips you. What the Holy Spirit does is he takes ordinary people, and look around the room, we are pretty ordinary, aren't we? I mean, I don't mean that disrespectfully, I mean, it just is the truth. I'm ordinary, you're ordinary. And it's God who comes along by his Spirit and makes us extraordinary. People that were ordinary become extraordinary. And there's no other explanation other than the Spirit of God has fallen upon us. And Paul is saying that sometimes that, think of, um, think of a log fire on a winter's day, winter's afternoon, evening. And sometimes the embers die down a bit. Nothing glows, but it's, there aren't flames. And what you do is you start, you put on it, or you get those leather things, what do you call them? Bellows, thank you. You get bellows. And Paul is saying the same, what is true of your, the fire in your grate? It's true of your walk with Jesus and your experience of the Spirit. And this thing constantly needs to be fanned into flames. Change the metaphor. We sometimes sort of... Years ago, there was a man called D.L. Moody. who um, one, And a woman came up to him one day rather aggressively and said, Mr. Moody, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? He said, yes, madam, I am. But I leak. And that's true of all of us. That's just another way of saying what Paul is saying here. We leak. Our embers die down and it needs to be fanned into flames. We need to be refilled. So Paul tells Timothy to fan into flames the gift of God, to make sure the Holy Spirit burns bright in your life. You and I can go before God and cry out for a fresh filling, a fresh fanning of the flames. God, give me the spirit who produces in me power. Send me your spirit that produces in me a love for other people. Do you ever pray and you get up on a Monday morning? Father, you're going off to school. Father, set me on fire in the classroom. Or in your family, you're going off to the office. Lord, set me on fire this morning. In my office with my... Jewish colleague or my gay friend or my totally anti-Christian colleague, friend. Lord, set me on fire. Let the flame burn strongly. Light a fire within me. Do you ever get people to lay hands on you? There is a connection. You probably noticed in verse 6, Paul says, which is there's a connection between Paul laying his hands on this fellow Timothy and something happening in his life. Now, in our culture, we, we, we find that difficult. In the Western world, we find that difficult to understand. We, we find it difficult to understand that something physical, like just a you know, grubby old hand, plonk that on somebody. We've, the fact that as a result of that, there will be a physical act, as a result of that, there will be at least a spiritual blessing in somebody's life. We don't understand that connection. But it's, it's, the Bible's shot through with it. It happens all the time. So get somebody to lay your hands on me. Before you leave here, get somebody to get a friend to lay your hands on me. Pray for me and I'll clear off. It could take seven nanoseconds at worst. I mean, it doesn't need to be painful. Last thing, very quickly. Last thing he says is future progress. Paul reminds Timothy of future progress. He's looked back, he's looked to the present, now he's looking to the future. Just this little verse, and I don't even noticed in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men and women who will be qualified to teach others also. Click. Have you noticed here 
Have you noticed he's talking about four generations? He refers to himself, me, he refers to Timothy, the second generation, then he refers to reliable people and to others. Do you see? So there, in a chunk, you've got probably, what, a hundred years of church history? Of four different generations, if not longer. And he's, I mean, think of it like, a, he, he, what he's talking, think of it like, do you remember in the Olympics in the summer, there was that um, relay race? Do you remember? The relay races, and they kept on dropping, do you remember? <laughs> it's such fun to watch it because they'd run out of space in a little box or they'd drop the stick thing baton yes think of it like a baton and Paul is saying to Timothy pass on the baton the Lord is saying to you here in St Albans pass on the baton let me just uh, finish, finish with this let me d- click do you know this man do you recognize this man Billy Graham He's a wonderful servant of Jesus. He probably, in all of human history, he has probably talked to more people about Jesus Christ and the wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus, probably than anybody else. Well, you may, what you may not know, click, is that he first met, he, he was first was introduced to Jesus by a man called Mordecai Ham at a tent meeting in 1934. In Mordecai Ham, click, in turn, was first introduced to Jesus by a man called Billy Sunday, you may have heard. He's a famous baseball player. A bit of a rogue and a villain, but a wonderful servant of the Lord, despite that. <laughs> Click. He was introduced to Jesus by a man called William Wilbur Chapman. Click. Chapman himself was introduced to Jesus by D.L. Moody, who I just, I just quoted. And um, will you say, well, who introduced D.L. Moody to Jesus? Click. A man called David, Edward Kimball, you'll never have heard of. Nobody knows what he looks like. All the others were famous in this sort of apostolic chain. Of Edward Kimball was, uh, do you know the story? He was in Chicago. No, no, he was in Boston in New England. And Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. And one day the Lord spoke to me and said, go around to all the members of the Sunday school and check that they, they know Jesus. So he did. He went around one by one and went to call upon um, D.L. Moody, who at the time was working in his uncle's shoe shop. And they went literally into the stockroom at the back, talked about Jesus. The two of them knelt down. And at that point, D.L. Moody accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now, if Edward Kimball hadn't have done his job, you think of the hundreds and thousands, millions of people over succeeding generations. The baton was passed, you see, by each one. And that's our prayer for you. Let's, uh, what do you do? How do you pray? Do you stand or sit? Which do, which do you feel more comfortable? It's Dan. Okay? Father, I thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness. The way you have poured out your spirit upon us, upon this world, and particularly upon this church. Upon Chris and Fliss and their leadership and all the many others of you. Whom God has called to serve him and love him. And do so in this part of the body of Christ. And we pray for the future and the baton being passed on. And we pray for future generations of men and women come into this building, come into this church, stumble across the Savior of the world, their lives turned upside or turned the right way up, and go on beyond these four walls, all over the country, all over the world to love you and serve you, talk about you, share you. Lord, may may the next 20 years be even more wonderful and spectacular than the previous. 
And the people said, Amen. Amen.